Welcome back to Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm here with Elias Randall again. It's a familiar shirt. I've seen Elias. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on the show. Uh, new show, same plaid shirt. I like it. I like it. New smile today. Um, big day for me yesterday. I see uh, you got your hair cut. I cut about Good 10, job. I cut about 10 inches off that hair. Um, I went in there. My hairstylist said, what are we going to do? And I told Millie, I go, hey, we're going to go back to the short hair. And yeah. she goes, well, I was looking back at like some of your old Facebook posts. And she goes, I agree. She goes, so how short do you want to go? I'm like, well, <laughs> two guard on the side, blend it up, you know, like a little bit longer than a knuckle on top. And she pulled the hair out about 10 inches. And she goes, are you sure? And I said, yeah. So, so we proceeded to cut it back. And actually, I feel rejuvenated by it. I kind of told, I think I told you and Molly and other people in the office, once I got the vaccine, um, I'd go ahead and cut it. And I did. It's actually the first time I haven't had long hair in about a year now. So so you feel rejuvenated. You don't feel like you lost any of your power or anything. No, right? I feel like I got yeah. some superpowers from it, actually. Good. So um, Good. You look at least 10 years younger, I think. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I mean, took out some of the grays and uh, uh, it, it was sad to see it go, but it was time. So, yeah. With that said, one of the things we've been receiving a lot of recently is we're getting a lot of emails into the show about questions people have about finances. Some are general, some are specific to what's going on in today's um, overall economy and financial markets. And we thought it'd be good to probably try to attack and answer some of those. If there's anybody out there that actually wants to ask a question, have it answered. It's btwellshow.com. Uh, there's a little button there. You can get your question answered and um, we'll kind of tackle it from there. All right. Yeah. So Don is uh, Don's a listener. First question of the day and her question, my parents always taught me that a little bit of debt is okay, but when does debt become too much? It's a good question because a little bit of subjective to everybody. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, that we just don't know what, what's, is, okay, a, what's a lot, what's a little. Well, because a lot to one person is a little to the next. So it's really subjective. And a good analogy of this is about 10 years ago, I, I met with a gal in the office and she was in her eighties and she was Roger, you know, and I'm asking her the questions, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you know, you know, how aggressive or conservative are you? And she goes, well, I don't know. I'm like a three. I'm like, okay. And then we started having a more of a conversation and she told me she's a three and I looked at her portfolio it was like 70% stocks and 30% bonds. And I said, is this conservative to you? And she goes, yeah, this is pretty conservative. And I kind of had that aha moment that there's really no way to prejudge what aggressive or conservative is to one by, by a number because it's subjective and this is subjective right. too. Yeah, but I yeah. think there's some guidelines we can look at. And number one, when we talk about debt, we like to classify it in a couple different ways. Good debt, bad debt right? Mm -hmm. Good debt, house, business, um, arguably some student loan debt if you have to take that because it, it, their studies show that that debt actually provides you a higher paycheck long-term. Bad debt, credit cards, um, potentially cars. We, we've had this debate back and forth depending upon what your buyer behavior is. But but the, the, the bad debt's typically the higher interest rate debt. If you think about what a bank does when they look at your credit worthiness, they look at something called the debt to income ratio in most cases. Like when you buy a house, you have to have a specific debt to income ratio. So if you have 10,000 a month of income coming in, 
they're going to, you're and you have $4,300 of expenses going out, your debt to income ratio is 43%, right? Yep. That's really about the top of the mark for buying a home. They look at your gross monthly pay. So gross is before tax. Mm -hmm. 43% is what they look at. Unfortunately, with other debt, they don't pay that much attention to that. If you have a good credit score, some places don't even look to your debt to income ratio. I would implore people the first thing to look at if you're carrying debt is I, I want to see the debt to income ratio actually about 36%. There's two numbers the bank uses. Let's go with the more conservative number 36%. Keep your debt to income less than that. Um, another way to tell if you're really starting to carry too much debt is can you make your payments, right? Are you adding debt every month? Because if you are, it means you're carrying too much debt and you're not making enough money. Yeah, I mean, that's a good signal right there. If you can't make the payment, then obviously you're in the you're in the zone of too much. And we shouldn't say the payment more than the minimum payment because Yeah, right, right. Yep. Now, credit cards are required if you're carrying a credit card balance to tell you how much you're going to pay if you were to just make the minimum payment versus paying it off in 3 years. So, making the payment in my opinion isn't a measure of being able to afford it. It's just a measure of you can drag this thing out 26 years or whatever it takes <laughs> to pay off a credit card at the minimum monthly payment. Um, I believe credit cards are essential to today's buying. You know, the idea that you're going to walk around with a pocket full of cash is almost gone. Yeah. I mean, at some level, either you're using um, a debit card, Venmo, Cash App. Apple Pay. I mean, there's all these different forms of payment. I know like when I go to Starbucks, I pay with an app on my phone, you know? So the days of carrying cash, not that you can't do it, it's just not widely adopted anymore. And I know people are proponents of that, but you're gonna have to have a debit card or a credit card or something like that in your life for convenience. I mean, you know, I'd argue that me going to the gas station and paying with a debit card is actually less expensive than me walking in and paying cash. Why is that? Because then there's no what no opportunity for an impulse buy. Absolutely. Or, yeah. I mean, when you go to the grocery, when you go into the gas station, there's a reason the cigarettes are behind the counter, right? Because yeah. the person trying to quit smoking, they walk in and the first thing they see when they have to get gas once or twice a week is the pack of cigarettes. So impulse buy, better get that. I really need it. The gums there. They got a water. They got a Red Bull. They got a cookie that I don't need. They got some. Doggy chow chow, whatever that mix is that's covered in powdered <laughs> sugar. And if that's all right there. So, you know, right. I know the proponent saying, well, if you do put on a credit card, you won't pay. Well, what's the impulse by me going into that gas station once a week? It could add up to hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a year. And I was that guy. Right. right. I go in. Oh, got to go pay for gas. Grab a Red Bull. Get some M&Ms. You know, all the get things that beef I jerky. Yeah. I mean, you just don't go in and not buy. That's why the, the gas stations turn into the like the small convenience store. Yeah. Um, so kind of, you know, how, what level of debt, you know, classify it first, um, Dawn into good and bad debt. If you need help with that, reach out to us at btwellshow.com. We're more than happy to kind of walk you through the classification of that. Um, and then make sure you can afford more than the minimum payments, right? Those, those are kind of the things that can determine whether you can carry some level of debt. I don't have a per problem with a person carrying, a mortgage or some student loan debt that they had to take to get a better paying job or if they started a business. You know, I always take the approach of people in businesses that I'm never going to knock somebody for trying to start a business ever. 
right? That's the American dream, own your own business, become an entrepreneur. Right. Um, and in most cases, it's going to take a level of debt to do that. You know, I, I know in theory, it sounds great to start a business with no debt, but most businesses are going to have a level of leverage. It's yeah, it has point. to be almost next to impossible. Yeah. Yeah. So hope that answers your question, Don. Um, and once again, if you have any questions, you can reach us online. All right. Uh, question two. So I'm 45. This is from Matthew. I'm 45. I have been managing my own finances and 401k allocations. I know the market has been up the last 10 years, so nothing has really done bad. As I get older and with talk in the media about a potential recession, I am more concerned about picking good investments. Any advice? Yeah, we do have some advice for that. <laughs> Yeah, I, the the key thing I and I the key keywords I see in here talk in the media potential recession. Yeah, I mean that's that we get this question probably more or it's got to be one of our top 3 questions, right? Yes, and what do successful investors do? Well, they don't try to time the market because timing the market is something successful investors don't even try to do. So they stick to a good financial plan and they keep buying good investments if they're accumulating or if they're taking money out, they stick to a plan that, you know, they decided is going to help them distribute this money over the long term. Yeah. So here's another thing I think about is that Matt said he's 45 and I, I don't know whether this is media driven or it's just the human emotion or psychological nature of this, but he's looking at retirement as the end game. Right. Yeah. Oh, and a lot of people do. Right. So my he's looking at his time horizon like 15 years if he's going to retire at 60. Well, arguably, his time horizon is more likely 40 years. Right. If he lives to be average of average um, life expectancy around 85, he's got 40 years left. He has a 40 year time horizon. The thought to start thinking about becoming more conservative, it's probably not the right time at 45 years old. And Maybe this is driven by the target date phenomenon that's becoming 401k plans. It's become the default option, this idea that the older we get, the more we have to ratchet down the risk in the portfolio. In theory, that may make sense. But in reality, that may or may not be what you need to do. It's kind of like the 60-40 portfolio that we talked about on the last show. Well, yeah, that might work. But is it the optimal asset allocation for you? And there's really only one way to determine what Matt should be thinking about. And that's by executing a well-written financial plan and getting to the point where he can create his own independent, you know, rate of return goal for lack of better terms. How much do I need to earn to be successful? How much risk do I need to take to be successful through retirement? And that can be run using Monte Carlo analysis and most financial planning software that's out there. Yeah, that that's a good point. The other thing I'd like to point out is so, okay, this specific person, 45 years old, you're still in the accumulation phase or most people at 45 are. So the other thing, you know, the financial plan could, sometimes we have people that they've done such a good job saving. And if Matt has, the plan might suggest that you have a variety of ways that you could invest, um, whether it's the most aggressive or at 45, you probably can't be as conservative as possible. But then you, so then that can kind of give you some confidence as to, okay, you know, if I'm in, 
let's say today I'm in a 100% stock portfolio and my plan says I have the same probability of success in a 100% stock portfolio or, and even like you could ratchet down to an 80% stock portfolio. Well, now you have some choices where you can kind of ask yourself um, and start to define your risk tolerance, I guess, is what I'm getting at. But you can just quantify those decisions and then make a decision that you're very confident with. Yeah. Here's the other thing I take away from the question. He says potential recession. We'll take potential out of there. There is going to be a recession again, probably multiple before he retires. That does not mean that the stock market goes down 50%. People have this recency bias of the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Well, the last time that happened was the Great Depression. That that type of a market correction, top to bottom of 60-ish percent, somewhere in that range. So we have the recency bias. When you hear the word recession, we think that the stock market's going to crash. It may go down. It does not mean it's going to crash. So there's going to be multiple recessions, Matt, before you get to the point where you're going to retire. So we should take that off, off the table because that's really a market timing. And the other thing, he said, I'm more concerned about picking good in, good investments. Well, that's subjective. But I'd ask Matt, why are you picking investments? Do you have the time, the desire, knowledge to go pick investments? Maybe a lot of the questions Matt's asking are things that could be answered by working with a financial advisor, whether it's us or somebody else. And we can help do all these things for people. Um, Otherwise, Matt's going to have to start investing a lot of time into this to find good investments, build his own financial plan to get really good answers. Um, yeah, so maybe the simplest answer is for Matt, it might be time to hire a professional to help you out. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, the other thing about good investments, it doesn't always mean they're best for you, <laughs> right? Well, that's it, true. Tax brackets come, tax brackets matter how much you make, what what you expect to do in retirement. There's a lot of business owners that are going to work through retirement. And I, I look at myself, yeah, I might slow down, but I don't know if I'll ever retire. I really like what I do. So why would I retire? So my strategy could be different than somebody else, right? Because if I start pouring money into a traditional 401k that I get tax deferred growth on today, I may actually be paying higher tax bracket in retirement. So all those things need to be factored into what what Matt's really concerned about. But I think the idea that getting older when you're 45 shouldn't really make a difference to your asset allocation, which should drive that's the financial plan. Right. And if he's not going to do one, today's current environment with where bond yields are and prices, you know, there's not a whole lot of upside in bonds where we're at today because bonds do two things, either provide safety or safety or income. And they're not providing much income today. And if interest rates go up, the safety portion of that could be limited as well. So um, it may be best for Matt to go ask someone for some help, ask them, answer, have have them answer these questions for them with some level of confidence. Yeah. Yep. That's a good idea. So Mark, next question, number three. So Mark asked, I know there are several ways to estimate how much you should save for retirement. For example, you should save enough to reproduce 80% of your uh, uh, final salary um, or 10 times your current income. And by that, so let's say your salary is $50,000 towards the end of your working career. It's kind of a rule of thumb to have 500,000 in savings at that point. Um, is there one way that you think is better than the others? 
That's a good question. Yes, we we believe in needs-based planning. Um, and, and what that says is add up all the money you spend spend each month. With most people could figure this out, right? If you get a ACH deposit from your company from your paycheck for eight thousand a month, and you spend it all, you're living on eight thousand a month. I'm yet to meet a retiree that comes in here at sixty four years and three hundred and sixty four days. And they're going to retire the next day that says, yep, I've been living on 8,000 a month and I can live on six now just doesn't work that way. But the one thing you should factor in when you're kind of calculating how much you're going to need Mark is if you're saving money in like a Roth IRA. So, so you get $8,000 a month deposit in your bank account and then they take out, you know, 1200 to max out you and your spouse's Roth IRA or traditional IRA, whatever it might be, whatever money you're saving, you can take that out of your monthly expenditures because once you retire, we're not and start living off your, your investment income. We're not going to keep saving money. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. Your contributions won't be part of your budget every month or whatever you want to call it. Right. Because if you do that, you're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. Right. There'd be no reason to do that. Um, So that's one thing you could take out. The other thing you want to factor in is, you know, do you have financial obligations that will be either be paid off when you retire or nearly after you retire? So maybe you have a small car payment that's going to be paid off or your house is going to be paid off when you're 69 and you retire at 65. You can schedule those out to give you an idea of how much monthly income you're going to need. Okay. Um, the rule of thumb of saving 10 times your income, I don't know where this has ever come from. It seems to me as really obscure, you know, how much a person needs, and we get asked this a lot, how much money do I actually need to retire? And the answer is, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I hear it a lot, especially from older people that I socialize with. I'll hear it's, I don't know how the number, but it's almost like a million dollars became like the magic number for everyone. And some of these things we're talking about rules of thumb yeah, they're, they're okay. They're good. They can get you in the ballpark, but you know, really the amount you, the amount someone needs to retire is that's different for everyone, which, you know, it goes back to what we do. It can be quantified in a financial plan, actually how much you do need. I actually think rules of thumb are really dangerous because let's just think you're a person who makes $150,000 a year. Okay. Okay. And you've always heard, I need a million dollars to retire. And you save a million. Boy, I hit my goal. But guess what? You can't live near the lifestyle you're living if you're making $150,000 a year. So they can be really dangerous because it gives people a false sense of security. Oh, I hit that goal of a million bucks. For some people, a million dollars is more than enough. For some, it's not near enough. You know, the old old rule of thumb is you can take out about 4% of your portfolio a year and have a high probability of not running out. Whether or not that still is true today, I don't know, right? We have depressed interest rates or some different factors that that do that. But if someone's just saying, hey, how much do you think I need if I want, want a good retirement? Well, how much are you going to spend is the driving answer. We get right. asked this a lot when people come in. We just had this the other day. What if I up my savings for the next two years? 
it doesn't make a difference. If you're 60 years old and you're retiring at 62, you're either there or you're not. The two years extra saving is going to make a minimal difference on what kind of lifestyle you can live. It's not going to move the needle at all. Yes, You will have gonna, a little more money. Yes, but it's not moving the needle because the corrective actions were years before. Yeah. Right? If you want to start saving more money in your 30, that can or have 40, a significant, or, or yeah. 50, depending right. on how much you can save, right? Give yourself 10 years. Yeah. So, that can have a significant impact. Which is why we push for people who are younger to do a financial plan because we can make corrective actions now and we get the benefit of compounding. It's like the fifth wonder of the world or whatever wonder they call it. Compound interest is amazing. <laughs> and we could take advantage of that if we make these corrective actions when we're younger. So back to Mark's question, how much should you save? Um, it's really a function of how much you are going to spend, which can be quantified through a financial plan, or you can use, Hey, I want to take out 4% a year. That'll get you in the ballpark. But once again, rules of thumb, in my opinion, are a little bit dangerous. There's a lot of factors here, uh, but I wouldn't just go blanket Mark and say, Hey, yeah, 80%, of whatever you made. Well, I don't know. Your mortgage might be more than that. I don't know. <laughs> so it's really a function of just adding up how much you're spending now. Take out any any money you're saving for retirement after you know after your paycheck, and that would get you in in the area of what you need um, for a, for a monthly spend. Yep. Okay. So question number four from Sandra. My husband and I recently finished paying off all of our student loan and credit card debt. Congratulations. We know a lot of financial advice says to fully pay off our house, but we aren't sure if that makes the most sense. Is there ever a case to not paying off your house? I would say yes, but I'll let you take this one. Yeah, I, truth be told, I'm really not sure why people would accelerate a mortgage payment today if they've refinanced. Right. And if you've refinanced in the last year, there's... To me, it's a very low incentive to pay it off. You're paying two point seven. You're paying two point seven five percent, three percent. It's all tax deductible. I mean, so you know what's the savings? You're in twenty five percent tax bracket, and you're paying three percent. It lowers your rate to low twos. It's almost free money. It's not free money, but it's almost. It's as close to free money as we've ever seen. It might. It might meet my um, definition of free money. It, we start it that. But this is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're going to go take out, borrow money from our house to invest. That doesn't make any sense. But the idea that right. you'd take away dollars that you, by accelerating your mortgage payment, there's an opportunity cost to the extra dollars. And what I mean by that, Elias, is if your mortgage payment is $1,000 and now you pay two, right? You took an extra thousand, you could have done something else with. And if I look back at the history of the stock market, Almost always, if you were paying a 2% interest rate on your house, would you have been better off investing that additional money to build wealth? Right. And well, and I think it's fair to say we've done some of these hypotheticals for clients recently, and which obviously we're using past performance, right? Because we're just running a hypothetical on paying extra on the house or saving more and what that does, what that could do in the long term. And we haven't seen a scenario yet where it did where it did make sense, depending on the age. Yeah, I mean, if you here's where I think it makes sense to potentially accelerate. If you're 57 years old and you want to have this thing paid off when you retire at 65, yeah, let's try to knock it out in seven or eight years. But if you're not going, you know, if you're 60 years old and you still have 30 years left in your mortgage, what are you accelerating your payments for? 
get it paid off when you're 80? Like that doesn't make sense. If you're 30, you're going to accelerate to pay it off. Why? Why are you accelerating to pay it off? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, the other thing we talk about too, everybody sees their home as this asset. It's not an asset. It, it's an asset. I shouldn't say that. It's not an investment. Correct. Yeah. It's correct. a place to live. If you didn't have the home, you'd still have to rent a place to live. So yeah, it's strictly no matter what, a place. You need a house. To, right. You need a residence. You're not going to cash in your house to fund your retirement in most cases. And if you do, you're going to have to go rent somewhere. Or buy another house and you'll have another mortgage. Right. So why right. pump all this capital into something that we can't utilize to actually accentuate and build wealth? Here's the problem with financial pundits and all these people. They're trying to sell you books and tapes and videos of how to get out of debt. They're not telling you how to become wealthy. You know, be, having no debt and being wealthy are two entirely different things. Because yes. if you spend 30 years paying everything off, which I'm not telling you, you shouldn't have no debt at some point. But if you spend 30 years paying everything off, and you never save a dollar. You're not wealthy. You're just debt free. Yeah. Well, another, you know, and with the pundits that are selling books and stuff, like you just said, they don't actually sit across the table from clients and help them make decisions about their life. So that's another thing that everyone should just kind of consider and remember. Um, For sure. So is there a case where we wouldn't pay it off? I, yeah. I mean, I just. Several. It's lots we of just reasons. talked about. Yeah. We just I mean, talked about several. The, do you want to be debt free or do you want to be wealthy? That's the question. That's really what someone should ask. Do I want to be wealthy or do I want to be debt free? Yeah. That's kind of the fundamental yeah. question. Well, yeah. let me, I mean, think about this. If you save that extra thousand dollars a year for 20 years, but you experience some level of growth greater than the interest rate. Number one, you were better off. But number two, couldn't you just go pull the money out to pay the last chunk off? It, it's it's kind of like foregoing your company match on a 401k. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, well, couldn't I just get my full match? And then in, when I retire, take out whatever that match was and pay off all the debts I ever had with free money from my company? Yeah, that's a good plan. I mean, the, so there's idea. all kinds of ways. I just going and paying off your house. It sounds fun. Emotionally, yeah, I'd be cool. And, and here's the other issue. So you pay your house off when you're 55. You don't get the compounding effect of the extra money until you're 55. And what do we just say when you do a financial plan, you're going to retire in five or seven years. You're pretty much there or you're not. The incremental extra money doesn't add up to a lot over five years. Over 25 and 30, it sure does. Mm-hmm. So Elias, I'm looking at the last question. I know we've kind of answered it, but I'm gonna let you ask this and we'll we'll kind of run through this one more time. But what's number five, Elias? Yeah, so uh, Robert asks, I'm 48 years old. I've been saving for retirement in my 401k. I know that $1 million is the blanket goal for retirement. So we kind of talked about that idea a little bit earlier, but could I retire with less than 500,000? So this easy question, this easy answer. Yes, you could. Yeah. It's purely a function of what you need to live on. So here's what you need to consider, um, Robert. One, what are your monthly expenses? So bottom line, what are the expenses? List them out, right? Kind of create a quasi budget. We're not huge on this dollar for dollar budget, but you have to know what you're spending. So what are your expenses? Okay. Then what are your income sources? Pension, social security, investment income. So let's just say Robert... Um, he's 48 plans on paying off his house by, let's say he has 12 years left on his mortgage. I don't know. 
say he does. So it's 60 and that's his only debt. Well, how much does Robert need to live then? Maybe it's $3,000 a month. He might have enough money between social security and a pension that he doesn't actually need any money. I think there's a fallacy in our, in, in this world that people that have a pension, which are a thing of the past for the most part, that that's not valuable, right? They just see it as the small monthly paycheck, right? Oh, I get $2,800 a month for my pension. And that's what they view it as $2,800 a month, or let's call it 35,000 a year. Well, I like to back that up to a client and say, Hey, how much money do you think you need to invest to get a paycheck of 35,000 a year? And if we use the going standard of 4%, you'd have to invest about 900,000. So you might have very little investment dollars, but because you have this paycheck coming in, you could retire with very little money in F401k. And this is why rules of thumb are dangerous because we're leading people to a false answer. Um, so we add up our expenses, we add up all of our income sources. Um, and part of expenses people don't calculate, what are the healthcare expenses? We really need to know what the healthcare expenses are. Um, and then do you want to work in retirement? All those different things. But I don't think you should say, hey, I have to have a million dollars. You know, someone might need three. Someone might need 200 because of the income sources they have. I'll never forget a meeting I had with Jeff. This is probably seven years ago. People came in and we saw them pull up and they pulled up brand new Lexus, wife's and brand new Lexus, husband's in a nice new car. And that they had like three and a half million bucks. And they were like 50, 45. And they told us how much they wanted. They wanted like 250,000 year retirement. So we did the financial plan and we told them they didn't have enough money. And they're like, what do you mean? We have like $3 million We're yeah, you do. And you're going to have more, but the problem is you want to spend 250,000 because that's what they were making. They thought they'd saved enough, but they hadn't. So that's why this number you need in retirement is very, very, very specific to the individual as to how much you're going to need. It's all about how much you're going to spend and how you're going to live your life in retirement. You know, yeah. some people are going to live on beans and rice. Some people are going to buy filet mignon. It's okay. You just need to figure out where you are and we can help you figure out how much you're going to need. Yeah. And that, and all those things kind of come back to the things we talk about with clients, your relationship with money. And then also I like to, um, lifestyle. That's something to consider too, because sometimes people get so focused on, okay, my investment portfolio is worth this this year. And then the next year it's worth this, but you know, sometimes it's more important. Like the people you were talking about, they've never had anyone, Tell them actually to continue the lifestyle at that income. You have to save even more than you're saving now. And I'm sure they would have liked to have that information 10 or 15 years earlier than they did. But. Well, they clearly didn't like the answers that we gave them. <laughs> they well, didn't yeah, become no clients. one wants to be told no. You know, but that's what we're here to do. I think there's a fallacy that we're going to tell everybody what they want to hear. And that's not what we do. We tell people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Sometimes that's fun to tell them the good news. Sometimes it's not so fun to tell them what they're doing is not going to work. Um, but that's ultimately why people hire us. It's why they work with us. It's why we create financial plans is to provide a level of security for somebody. So um, if anybody out there wants to have your 
your question answered on the show, just go to btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to do it because we've been getting so many. We're probably going to do this a little bit more frequently as so we can keep up and give people the answers that they want. Um, I know some people don't want them answered on the air. If you have a question that you don't want to answer it on the air, private question, btwellshow.com. We're happy to answer it. So Elias, do you have any other closing remarks or thoughts before, before we wrap this show up today? Actually, yes, I do. Uh, I did want to ask you while we were filming, because I overheard you talking to uh, to a friend this morning. I think you had a phone call. Someone called, and the gist of it I got was they were asking you about compensation packages. Sound like they were offered maybe a couple jobs. Um, so I thought that'd be a good thing to talk about on the show today. I thought you said so- to me, I just was eavesdropping, overheard the conversation. I thought I, they said some really insightful things. So. I see how it is, and I appreciate that you called them insightful. But yeah, so I was, I was dropping eaves. Yeah, so it wasn't a client. It was actually a friend who had watched our show, listened to the podcast, and she sent me a message this morning and said, hey, I've been listening to all your stuff. I just can't find an answer to this question. And who knew that? I don't have a video for everything out there. Well, and it wasn't, this was a specific question. This wasn't a rule of thumb or in general question. Absolutely. And she told me that she goes, in all fairness, it's a super specific question. And the, the backdrop to the story, she's applied for two jobs. They both went well. I think she's going to get two job offers. Okay. Um, one exciting for her. Yeah. I mean, that's what everybody wants, um, is to have choice. I mean, that's why we help people do what they do. So they have choice in retirement, but she's going to potentially have to choose between two jobs and one's in one location, one's in another, the second location is a little bit more money to live at. So that job pays a little bit more. Um, but she was more concerned about the two kind of, um, equity structure slash bonus structures of the company. And one was a equity bonus where she's going to get equity in the company and the one with stock options. I was familiar with the company that had the options. And when you're just getting in this really detailed conversation of how these things worked and which was better. And I finally just said, which one do you want to do? She goes, well, I think they'd all be great, but I'd really think I'd like to be in this location, make roots here. I'm like, well, this really isn't a money decision. Right. And I thought about it. I'm like, why is the driving factor of what job you take, which one potentially has the higher bonus schedule? Because well, that that's what we're all kind of taught. Right. And that's just the way we think. Yeah. That's what the decision's about. And I started thinking about what we teach people, what we talk to clients about, the emotional side of this. And I said, truth be told, if your mental health and you feel better about one job over the other long term, that's going to be the better choice. It may not be the most money. I mean, the most money shouldn't always be the driving factor because if you're miserable and don't like where you live, well, why is that relevant? You're not going to be happy. You're not going to stay there anyway. And there's benefits to mental health. You know, Jeff in our office is a big advocate of mental health. But if you're in a better place because you're happy with what you're doing, maybe you get promoted faster. Maybe there's auxiliary things that happen that you just don't see. So it was funny how the conversation went from, this monetarily is to the best to which one do you want to do? And I should have asked her that first. I just got so caught up in the number side of it and analyzing I'm like, well, right, right. And she goes, you know what? That's what I needed to hear. Shouldn't be about the money. I said, they're both probably going to compensate you the same in the long term. I mean, it's the same position. Typically one company doesn't pay three times as the next, you know, if that was the right. case, it'd be one thing, but it wasn't yeah. that much more money on the table, you know, for the income. So, I, I, th- I think that was insightful what you brought up because a lot of times we try to quantify everything 
financially through a financial plan. And sometimes in this case, the quantification really was how do you feel and what would make you feel better? Which one would you be excited about? Yeah, so not not every decision comes down to the pennies, to the dollars in the decision. Sometimes it should be just what's going to make you feel better. Yeah, well, feeling better will make you more successful. It, it truthfully will. Right, they go hand in hand. Success right? shouldn't always be driven by dollars. Oh, yeah, absolutely you know, not. You know, success is driven a lot of different ways, and dollars probably is lower on the list. You know, we just want people to get to a point where they can be successful in retirement because a lot of that, is actually driven by dollars. Yes. So uh, with that said, I think that was great insight. I'm glad you brought that up, Elias. I uh, hope everybody enjoyed the show. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the show, you can get us at btwellshow.com. Thanks. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIT. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.